Welcome to Screen Talk, IndieWire's weekly podcast. I'm Eric Cohn, the Deputy Editor and Chief Critic, joined, as always, by Ann Thompson, our Editor-at-Large. And Anne, I'm back from vacation in Argentina at the bottom of the world. It seems like things kept moving along without me. Pretty quiet time. I don't think I missed too much, right? Not really. It's We're starting to gear up for uh, the fall film festivals. You know, those those announcements are coming in, and a lot of people are on the phone What's at Venice? What's at New York? You know, what's opening night at New York? What's opening night at Toronto, which is going to come next week? It's that kind of of thing. Um, Your anticipation. You know, and I did talk to someone who saw The Favorite, which is one of the buzzy things that's being previewed. Yeah, but not written by him. So it sounds like it's a much, I hear it's dark. I hear it's witty. I hear that Olivia Coleman completely steals it. Um, and would be in the best actress category with Rachel Weisz and uh, Emma Stone doing really well also. But um, it's a real crowd pleaser, apparently. Well, and don't forget, we also got Kerry Mulligan in Wildlife. I don't know if that's going to make it all the way. Um, That's a movie that has to do well at the box office to last all the way through. So we'll see if that happens. I know the critics like it, and she's great in it, but I don't know if the movie will survive. Well, it is certainly going to be a bloodbath this fall, thinking about how many movies are going to be going head-to-head. It's, it's hard to fathom it right now, but we can sort of start to see it assemble. It was funny, you know, when I was down in Argentina, I went out for drinks with a couple of journalists there that who work at La Nación and also at the film festival Bafisi, and all the Oscar movies come out there right around the Oscars. Like, right, right, like they, they use the, the ceremony itself sort of as the main marketing metric. So it's it's interesting to think about how it's like sort of for us, these movies come out and that's part of the insanity, whereas in other parts of the world, it's sort of like after the nominations and all that kind of stuff, that's when people get to receive those films. So they're, they're sort of processing a, a much smaller pool. What right. we're having to deal with is much more kind of decentralized. Right. What's interesting about what you're saying is that um, there are people who like to sort of complain about the Oscars and sort of poo-poo them and and put their nose up at them uh, as if they're some kind of corrupt, you know, ancient, uh, out-of-date institution. And of course, they do need to modernize in many different ways, which we, we always can discuss. But but the truth is that a lot of movies wouldn't get made and wouldn't get out into the uh, marketplace around the world if they didn't have the Oscars as a major marketing engine for them. And that even with that, the num- even though it looks like there's a lot of films that everybody's sort of hovering around and, and, and looking at, I have to tell you, when I go through all the titles and look at the charts that I'm putting together, the prediction charts, which are all sort of starting to go up, you, you have to recognize that only a few of them are going to go through this filtering process of these festivals in the fall and actually come out on the other side looking strong and good. There's, right. When you talk about blood on the floor, you're right. Yeah, no, there's, there's certain things where you're sort of like, I can't wait to see this movie. And then it premieres and everyone's like, uh, and you just move on to the next one. And right. Then it's, and it, and, and it's, you know, <laughs> Telluride is going to have a very good lineup. And, and we're already hearing about, you know, we see First Man is going to open uh, Venice, Roma. All is right, gonna let's be, talk about that. So First yeah. Man, that's pretty big news. Because I remember 
early this year, we were talking about this and there were quite, first of all, there were all kinds of questions about whether or not this movie would be done in time, whether it would even He's have- He's still editing it. I saw him at the opening night for uh, the final, uh, finally opening, uh, uh, don't worry, he won't get far on foot. I saw him there, and and he's he's an anxious wreck. He's he's working on on editing the movie. He hasn't finished it, believe me. Well, and it is his first studio film. Even though he, he you know he already won best director for for La La Land, he's a super young Which guy. He also opened Venice, by the way, so he's following yeah. up that tradition, as is a, a lot of spot. these filmmakers are want to do. And Gravity premiered in opening night Venice. So too, Cuaron so. is likely to bring Roma there. We're assuming Roma will be there. Uh, so, but it, it'll be the centerpiece at the New York Film Festival, which we know for sure. Right. But So with respect to First Man, I think it's pretty interesting too, because next year is the 50th anniversary of the moon landing. There's all this, these, you know, SpaceX is really big right now. I feel like this movie just looks like, it, you know, with the Ryan Gosling factor and, and the... the trailer which looked pr very promising this could be a very commercial film i'm, I'm curious not sure about that that's an interesting thing that you think that um i i would be more likely to say that i count on chazelle who is a perfectionist and a, you know holds himself to a very high standard i count on him to deliver a good movie you know i'm not worried that this is going to be some studio sellout or or if anything he won't do that you know no i don't think it'll be a sellout but, but I, I don't know that it will be commercial for yeah. sure because remember the right stuff was not commercial at all it was a the great right movie stuff, the right stuff is a is a drama i mean it's hard for to envision Isn't what is a drama well, it's a, but but the right stuff to me is is a is I think more of sort of like this kind of it's it's the Tom Wolf story, you know. It's it's a it's a look inside the the, the kind of identity of these different kinds of characters at the earliest stages of, of going to space. Whereas First Man is is more specifically, it's almost like a, an adventure story. The way it is the iconic moment. It's and it's about the mission. It's it's very much focused on on the mission of of getting to. And it, it's the lead up to the big moment when he steps on the on the moon. I want it to do really well. I'm just saying. It's, yeah, I'm not counting on that being a sure thing. That's all. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, it's a it's a universal movie, and and you know they. They are. They can do some great stuff, and sometimes not so great. They had an interesting fall season last year, but you know, not quite as well as their boutique focus features did. So focus you know. is on a roll, and and they have a a great uh, lineup. Although I have to say, the one that I'm iffy about is the one they pushed back to December which is the, you'd think I would be high on this, the, the Mimi Leader directed um, on the basis of sex with Felicity Jones as Ruth Bader Ginsburg, but having seen RBG and loving right. it and being so you know inspired by her, I can just tell from the trailer, at least the way it is presented in the trailer, that it's it's mainstream, you know? I can just see that they're going her for the big beats. To Army Hammer is her husband. Uh, well, but the husband is an awesome guy. I mean, I know, but not that good looking. <laughs> That's the thing. Oh, um, I see what you're saying. Well, yeah, I mean, it'll be. It doesn't seem like necessarily the movie of the fall, especially with RBG already doing so well. It's like it. It's hard to compete in that respect. It's not necessarily an asset. It may be an asset in the sense that there's been so much interest in her, and obvious the interest obvious obviously exists, but
But um, and I may not be the right person to 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 respond to this particular trailer. And again, the trailer isn't the movie. We can hope that the movie fills in a lot more uh, detail in a more nuanced uh, kind of kind of way. Um, but but uh, let's talk about uh, Roma because you mentioned it earlier. That's that's going to Alfonso Cuarón. And it's black and white, and it's 70 millimeter, and, and it's Dolby Atmos. Apparently, the sound is amazing in this movie. Um, and it's but Netflix. So what we don't, yeah, so what we don't really know yet, there are a couple of things we don't really know, is how is this movie going to be presented to the world in a way that recognizes whatever cinematically Quaron, Mr. Gravity, has done this time around. While They're also going to a lot of festivals is answer number one. And there's yeah, to be seen on that screen. So we're going to see it on many different screens, many different festivals, and and I think that they are also going to look at a limited release for it. And and again, the other news of the week was Lisa Tabak, the sort of top uh, level um, Oscar strategist who used to work with Harvey Weinstein for many years, uh, going over to be on staff with her team at Netflix, yeah. you know, to move over there and take over uh, not all of their awards, uh, all the, 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 the docs, the, the uh, features, the Oscars, the Emmys, the BAFTAs, you know, everything. And, and uh, she'll do a great job. Uh, and Roma is one of her uh, assignments. Yeah, I'm so, I'm so curious about that. I mean, obviously Netflix has made a couple of different efforts to get into this space with familiar players. They already had Julie Fontaine over there. But Lisa Tabak's credibility in award season is basically unparalleled. So it'll, it'll be interesting to see, you know, what films could have had the Tabak bump this season that now won't, as well as how Netflix's award strategy might develop in a way that could get beyond the hump they've been, you know, kind of pushing to they, get over. She helped her. them get those four nominations for, for Mudbound and the win for Icarus. So she was involved along with a very substantial group of people over at Netflix and they all worked together in sync. So Julie Fontaine wanted this to happen and uh, so did the people on the doc side. Um, and so it, you know, they needed someone to really just take over this huge effort um, and coordinate, you know, with them and not be available to anyone else and to report to Ted Sarandos uh, directly. Um, so uh, I think it, I think it's, it's major, but they still, they still need to be in theaters, I think, yeah. especially they, with a movie like they, Roma. The, the company has so much money to burn through. If the, the rumors are true that at some point or another they talked about buying them, it's like, fine, buy the theaters, but figure out a way to deal with this kind of a challenge because it was such a, you know, they already went through this ridiculous blow up with Cannes and we, we've talked about playing the blame game there. It's almost irrelevant at this point. It's more like if you're dealing with filmmakers, filmmakers often have a relationship to the way their film is exhibited no matter how many millions of people you can get around the world with your streaming platform and use analytics like a, like a weapon, you still have to figure out a way to please that contingency. And it doesn't need to feel like those two things are against each other. So Roma will be a real test about whether or not, you know, they can do that. And they, they seem to be maybe buying their way into this conversation a little bit better. Well, but they're we'll making the right movies. I mean, I, I, I love the idea that they, they also supported Paul Greengrass's Norway, which is shot in Norway. It's a tough terrorist 
thriller, really violent and gritty with local actors that nobody knows who they are speaking English, um, you know, uh, fluently. Um, but it, but it, I, I mean, I want to see that too, you know, um, and I want to see, I want to see where that goes and where, Not where to the other Orson stuff Welles goes. movie, yeah. you know, yeah. on the other side of the wind or the Morgan Neville doc. Um, About Orson Welles. Yeah. No, I mean, look, Netflix, to say that Netflix is, you know, somehow a negative force in the industry is to miss the fact that on some level, Netflix is leading the industry and and defining whatever next stages it may be moving into, even if it hasn't totally worked out all those kinks. And it's been fascinating to kind of watch this happen in real time, because it's obviously not going away. Roma is interesting, too, because there's, there's amazing buzz around this movie. The people who have seen it, it's been done for a while, really, really love it. Obviously, Can wanted it in competition and all that kind of stuff. But it's they also... They didn't want it in competition. They did. No, they didn't. They couldn't. Well, they couldn't because... They of the offered rule. it a non-competition right. slot, which is rules. why Netflix turned it down. Right. But I mean, if, if Netflix had agreed to the theatrical releases or whatever. If they something could have been in competition if they did a theatrical release, which they would never do. <laughs> right, right, right. Exactly. It's it sort of more of a technicality than anything else. It's really frustrating. But the people are excited about this movie. It's also a, it's a black and white film in Spanish. You know, it's, it, it, it's, it's not... Like you can assume it's going to be everyone's favorite movie. No, right it away. could be. It could wind up being, by the way, the Mexican submission for the Oscars. Right. That would be pretty, pretty likely. And I, and it's also very autobiographical. It's set in the seventies. It's about his family, um, his mother. Um, and it's apparently what the way that the sound is used, it's very immersive. And so that's become part of the issue is, is where they can show it with that kind of uh, technical sophistication. Yeah, and and how is that going to adapt to the Netflix? Like, how are people going to watch it at home? I, I'm sort of wondering about that. You know, it's well, like, it's what... going to be wasted on them <laughs> in that regard. I, I mean, I mean, I, I don't know what your sound system is like in your living room, but it's I, not yeah, very yeah. good in mine. <laughs> That's the thing is that it's so malleable that there's no way to get that perfect unless they had, you know, an I don't have Dolby Atmos in my living room. Okay, <laughs> you can't invite Quaron over to check your system in advance. <laughs> I mean, Christopher Nolan may have said that he apologized to Netflix after talking negatively about them. But it's hard to imagine a purist like that going over to that side without at least being able to control a, a, to a large degree how people might be able to see this film in theaters. We so. can assume they were, there will be a bigger theatrical release for this movie than they've ever done before, on at least on the scale of what they did for Mudbound and probably bigger. And I'm very, very curious to see how that uh, rolls rolls out because it's against their policy, you know. Right. But, but they are so, Ted Sarandos is so committed to getting the filmmakers that that's why he wants to win Oscars. It's actually similar in a weird way to the strategy at Amazon. I mean, Am, you know, Amazon was aiming at Oscars. That was the way that they could get their film titles, their original film titles, uh, uh, to have a higher profile and get more clicks and get more people to watch them. And and what Ted wants, uh, Sarandos, is is to have filmmakers want to be at Netflix, no, to, that they can get the whole package there. Right. But so, they also, I mean, it's, it's, it's also in both cases, you have companies that have so much else going on that they can kind of 
they they can buy their way into this without feeling the pressure to monetize it or to have necessarily an obvious hit in any of these cases. That's true. Oscar movies they don't can afford Oscar. it. If you have $8 billion to spend, uh, a, a modest theatrical release shouldn't be such a big deal. <laughs> and when tons of Netflix subscribers are getting really excited about the Queer Eye crossover with the, the cooking show or whatever, you know, it's like, yeah, okay, so we'll also do the 70 millimeter thing with this auteur director because everybody's watching for this other stuff, so let's slip that in there. I don't think that's a bad thing. I think it's kind of fascinating in a way. It's just, you know, it's not a business model per se, but it keeps them in our world. So the other films that we're likely to see at uh, Venice are Widows, the new Steve McQueen uh, movie, which yes. uh, at least if, judging from the materials that I've seen uh, and from what I hear from people who've seen it, is a thriller, basically, and yep. not what you would expect from Steve McQueen. It's sort of his bid for commerciality. It may not even be an Oscar movie uh, at well, all. I, yeah, I can't wait to see this. McQueen is, you know, a visual artist who makes movies when he's into making a movie. He's done ever in the years since 12 so years. So far, so good with him, but yeah, making yeah. a bigger pitch right now. But I would say, I mean, first of all, 12 Years a Slave was not a small movie. And also, 12 Years a Slave and even Hunger, I mean, these movies had thriller components to them and shame did too they just were doing other kinds of things so it's not surprising on some level that he would turn up the genre dial with something like this and with this very strong you know female ensemble all the widows of these guys who ran high school i can't wait to see it i can't wait to see it i'm just saying that you know superficially at least it doesn't appear to have the hallmarks uh, of, a, of an Oscar contender. I want right. it, I want it to, even though it's opening London and London is, um, of course, he's hometown boy there. It makes sense. You know? And Jillian Flynn wrote the screenplay. You know, Gone Girl wasn't an Oscar movie, but it people liked it. I mean, it's, uh, it's the kind of thing that... This that, could be very comparable to Gone Girl. It could yeah. be like that. You know? Yeah, but I think, you know, you're talking about possible really strong ensemble of somebody like Viola Davis uh, really standing out, you know, or, or Jackie. Well, Best Lee. Actress is very weak, this category, I have to say. I mean, I have a, I have a bunch of people in there like Charlize Theron for Tully or, or uh, Kira Knightley for, for Colette. But, but it's hard to say, um, you know, uh, where it's going to end up. Uh, you know, there aren't that many. I mean, Sir Sharonin... Um, and Mary's Queen of Scots seems like a likely possibility. Uh, Olivia Coleman, as we suggested, but um, where are we going to end up? There are not that many of them this year. It is definitely going to be unpredictable. I mean, the, it doesn't feel like the year that Moonlight and La La Land came, you know, kind of went head to head. That was a weird year that kind of felt unpredictable. And then Moonlight kind of gained more traction than I think most people were predicting. And it was like a really, there, there are years in which you have some really cool movies that make things kind of uncertain but now it's like we definitely have some movies that would not be surprising to see become major front runners like a star is born and definitely so that's kind of, i think that's a very strong contender which is also likely to play at venice right i hear from what i heard can you know saw the movie and they just didn't they didn't want to start it that early. They're really launching hard with that one into the awards conversation. Now that is not but a movie. They're doing it their way. They don't want it to be like, they don't want to show it on their sleeve. You know, it's, yeah. it's typical of Warner brothers to be a little bit circumspect. Uh, I'm, I'm sort of surprised it, that it will be at Venice, um, but you'll notice they didn't put it in opening night. 
Yeah. I, I, it's not the kind of movie that I'm like dying to see, but it's a movie that I, I can, you can see the, the kind of awards potential. It's there. got everything. <laughs> it's got everything. Um, and, then, yeah. and then, and then the other movie, which I cannot wait to see, uh, which is not finished yet is if Beale street could talk, which is of course, Barry Jenkins follow up. And you can imagine that he's very anxious about that, you know, following up Moonlight and, and, you know, he's adapting um, James Baldwin and, and there are several stories interlocked, uh, a young couple, he doesn't have major stars, uh, there's some parents involved. It's going to be interesting to see uh, how that, where that lands. I, I, I suspect think also, New York is, and Telluride will be I'm sure. where it lands. Oh, Telluride is a no-brainer, he's still programming short films there and stuff. But it, but it, I think it's important to manage expectations with this one for a couple of reasons. I read the book, and it's it's a beautiful book, the James Baldwin novel, and um, I could see it in the movie in my head when I was reading it because it's it's very expressionistic and understated and very Barry Jenkins. But one has to remember that you know, Moonlight was a very beautiful, understated drama. And for most people, it was the only introduction to this filmmaker. He had one other film he made before this, and not a ton of people saw it. And I think what it'll be interesting to see you is- You mean Medicine for Melancholy? Medicine for Melancholy. It was a good movie. Very different from Moonlight. And I think it'll be interesting to see how you know expectations for Moonlight may not be the best thing for a, a very kind of quiet, romantic film like this. I can't wait to say, I'm sure it'll be beautiful and there'll be a lot to talk about with it, but I think it's going to be a, a quote unquote small film, one that I personally can't wait to see. But for the purposes of the awards conversation, it's like, it's really hard to figure out what is the best spot for this movie. You know, not the not the festival question, but just in terms of how it's going to fit in with all this other big stuff like Star is Born versus Beale Street Can Talk is, is a conversation not worth having. These movies are... are Oh no, they're total apples and oranges, and there's yeah. no reason to even think in those terms. This is about what. Again, you're right. These are these are very high level filmmakers who have done well in the past, who are coming back into the conversation with new work, and and there's expectations attached, and how those how those filmmakers end. I mean, for example, I want to see. The Sisters Brothers from Jacques Odiar, his English yeah, language film, and and you know, it, I hear John C. Riley is amazing. In yeah, I mean, Jacques Odiar is is the biggest director in France, and it's always a question when guys like that make their first English language film. But it, it's got a terrific cast. I'm sure Joaquin Phoenix is really good in it too, and it's a western and probably very violent given his mo. So. You know, there's there's a question mark there. I'll tell you the one I'm really curious about. Not sure if it's going to show up at a festival or not, but I know it's on the schedule. Is this film called Green Book? With yeah, Eli that looks good to me too. Rehearsal Ali as yeah. this African American pianist touring the South in the '60s, and it's directed by Peter, Peter Farrelly. I know. I mean, that's I, really I, we were working on our fall preview list, and I sort of said to Kate uh, Erbland, who's our film editor, "Hey, you know, we should take that one seriously," and she like didn't know what I was talking. You know, why would I, I mean, take that seriously? Sometimes comedy guys, the drama, and it, the cast is really good. It, there's just it's just one there's of those. another one like that. There's another one, uh, Jonah Hill's mid '90s. Mid '90s. I really cannot good. wait to see that. Well, that's a, there's a guy where it's like. 
this is somebody who was a goofy comedy actor who gained respect as a serious actor. So it's sort and of he's a lot so good, and you won't get you, don't worry, you won't get far. But he could get a supporting actor nomination for that. The thing is, the movie itself is so kind of forgettable. I liked it. I, <laughs> I recognize that it may not have the elements that are going to take it all the way to the end. Um, you need to have momentum. You need to have a consensus yeah. of, of everyone loving it. And yeah. you, you don't have that, that buzz around it. But I liked it a lot. I thought it was solid. Gus Van Zandt, one of the better films he's done for quite a well, while. <laughs> that's not saying much, unfortunately. But uh, yeah, I mean, it's there's there's ideas to it. I mean, it's an interesting character. I just found the movie to be very kind of simple. I've been doing a lot of Sundance catch-up, by the way, because whenever you go to Sundance, there's so many new movies that you simply cannot see them all. And uh, that was one I caught up with. I also caught up with Blind Spotting, which um, I really liked. I thought uh, David Diggs uh, did a great job with that. I I think he's a really good actor, in case we didn't know, from Hamilton. Um, And I hope to see him in lots of other things. I think he's sexy and smart and funny and witty and real. And I thought the movie was very intense, but witty and funny and real. I liked it. Well, I think it's a it's a it's an odd film. It's a little tonally imbalanced, but it's in, in the true. way it kind of dovetails into kind of this hip hop kind of expressionistic hip hop moments where the actors speak in hip hop didn't totally. There's a big conclusion, it. a big de- big moment, a big denouement where that occurs, and it didn't yeah, work. It doesn't, it doesn't it definitely didn't work. There's a few moments like that, but as as kind of a character study of sorts of yeah. somebody in the Bay Area trying to get their life together. There's there's some good stuff there. We had a, a, a writer weigh in on this film Sundance who was saying, you know, if um, Edgar Wright was a was a black kid who grew up in, in Oakland, he might have made a movie like this because it's kind of like a it's a, like Attack like, the Block. It isn't bad. Yeah, it's not yeah, a that kind of vibe to it. Yeah, or there's no genre elements except yeah. for the rapping, I suppose. Yeah, exactly. So it's not quite, but it but it it's an interesting movie no question about it i i doesn't i didn't totally hold i preferred it to sorry to bother you frankly well that's i'll tell you why i'll tell you we talked we did we did but the reason i I, i'm telling you that is that that sorry to bother you is written well it is so full of great ideas it is so refreshing and i understand why everyone's jumping all over it because it's new and fresh and you haven't seen it before this one is well directed (laughs) sorry to bother you is not well directed I thought Sorry to Bother You was was well-directed in the sense that it, it kept you, it, it does keep the viewer in this state of complete uncertainty about where the movie is going. Mm-hmm. And it does that all the way to the end. And, mm-hmm. and, and we weren't sure how this movie was going to do. I came back from Argentina. And it did well. Out, it's doing right. well. That's not, not too bad for a totally nutty movie about a, a telemarketer doing a fake white voice. And Well... You know, what that shows is that when you do cut through the color clutter with something utterly new, it, it, yeah. it can be a good thing. Yeah, it's got to be different. I mean, that's kind of a thing that, that we're constantly hoping for, especially as we see the, the clouds or whatever you want to call it, gathering for award season. It's like, you know, there's going to be stuff that fits so neatly into that narrative of a prestige film that gets acclaim and gets... Academy voters salivating or whatever, but what you really want to see is something that catches everybody off guard. So maybe there's something we're not talking about at all right now. One can assume there is. I'm a little worried, a little worried about 
the fate of there's um there's more women directors than usual in the list um, in the lineup, and I'm not sure they're gonna you know I'm not sure I hope I hope I hope that one of those one or two of those break through. For example, the Lynn Ramsey, um, you know, the likelihood that that's gonna last. Um, you were never really here, even with that great performance from Joaquin. Uh, the likelihood that that's, it's very slim that that will ever. It didn't do well. It didn't do well at the box office. So a yeah, lot of that, people that, will that, never see it. You know, that, that'll be a conversation. I mean, you you can feel it already starting to take shape. But as soon as we see these lineups, we'll really be able to uh, dig into that. So I guess by next week, we'll, we'll have more intel. Yeah, we'll have those details. We can go through some Toronto stuff, some Venice stuff. And, uh, and really stop speculating quite as much and, and start to have some hard facts to work with. And we could talk about Mission Impossible, which I can't wait. Yes, you and I are both going to end up uh, catching up with that on Monday night. By the way, Mamma Mia is much better than the last one, <laughs> I mean, which I hated. I hated the first one. I will one. continue to live in a world where I don't necessarily need to be the person weighing in on these movies until somebody forces me to do otherwise. So okay. We'll until Bye -bye. next week. Bye, Eric.